0: Welcome to the Covenant Women Podcast with Dr. Adonica Howard-Brown, your on-demand source for Holy Ghost-filled preaching and teaching. You bring blessing everywhere you go. You bring freedom. You bring liberty. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Be refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened as you hear the Word today. I'm not sure if I to talk to, address the guys, I'm not sure if I really addressed the girls totally, and I just wanted to say this, you know, woman, we need to be there as as a support to our husbands because, you know, let me say this, in ministry, you have, every couple is different. God calls every couple differently. Um, some of Sometimes there, there's a very shared role and, and like almost a tag team thing that happens, but... You know that ha- there has to be a mutual respect, very much mutual respect, going on. If you don't want to bring reproach or dishonor, you know, to to the ministry in your through your marriage, there's got to be that mutual respect, which has to, which has to be there anyway. Um, some marriages, the husband takes the stronger role as far as pulpit ministry, and sometimes the wife doesn't do anything at all except make her focus the home and the family and taking care of that. And that works for them. Maybe that's what they both are comfortable with and that's what they feel called to do. And that works for them. Then you have all the way through to the Joyce Myers of the world who have the stronger pulpit ministry and her husband does share and speak, but that's not his gift. Uh, But his gift is administration behind the scenes and he's a tremendous strength to her. But when she steps off that platform, the reason her marriage has survived is first of all, because he's, he's an angel. I mean, he's the most Gracious, precious man. And, and I mean, when he married her, he, his prayer was, Lord, give me someone to help. <laughs> and he had to help her a lot. But, you know, and I'm only saying that because they say that. I'm not saying anything nobody, that she doesn't already say publicly. And so, you know, he is, he's a, he's a wonderful man. Um, but, you know, when she steps off that podium, he's the head of the house. And so, you know, just as our lives here on earth are so spiritual and yet so natural, amen, because how many of you know we still live in a body? Hello? We're not in heaven yet, so we've got to take care of all three parts of us, spirit, soul, and body. We've got to take care of all of them. This is your temple. God expects you to take care of your body, but God also expects us to take time to focus on, to care about our relationships And don't, when people super spiritualize and, and, you know, I'm not telling you not to be spiritual, but when people replace some spiritual whatever, mumbo jumbo for, you know, as as an excuse for why they're not doing what they should be doing in taking care of their body, which husbands, your body is your wife, uh, wife, your husband is your body. I mean, you're one flesh. Adam, God took, he made Adam and he took Eve out of Adam. He didn't make Adam and Eve. He made one. He made them one, and then he took some stuff out of Adam that Adam's never got back again, and he left some stuff in Adam he didn't give to Eve. And there's a few things that they share, but they're always going to want each other to be whole again. Amen. And so we're there, that we're there to make each other one. And so we need to take care of natural things. We need to take care of the body. We need to take care of our homes and our, our family relationship and not super spiritualize and make everything about ministry and make that as an, an excuse to not treat the people in our, that live in our house with respect. Because a lot of times we'll be all nice to everybody else, but then if when we're alone in the car or in the home, we treat each other like dirt and disrespect each other, take each other for granted and don't appreciate one another. So it's very important that we always appreciate one another and that we respect one another and that we honor each other and we want to make the other person happy because if, if you as the husband, you as the wife, if, you give a, if each of you gives 100%, it's never 50-50, if each of you gives it all, gives 100% into that relationship, it will work. It will work. Amen. And so, you know, it's very hard when you have... One pulling one way and one pulling the other way. And I've seen a lot of women destroy their husband's ministry at the same time because, you know, they, they always had some other gender, something else going on. They were sick of traveling, and so they stopped and started a church because she was sick of traveling with the kids. You know, I'm sorry. I, I made a commitment when we were on the road. We didn't have a home for four, for four years, and I never nagged for one. I never asked for one. I never, I never said one word about, I want a house. Because I thought, I am not going to be the wife that puts pressure on my husband. I know what he has to do. I know what his desire is. I know he loves us. I know he wants to take care of us. And you know, and that was, of course, his responsibility that, to make sure I knew that he cared about those things. But I thought, you know what? I know that we can't do that right now, and so I'm not going to nag and whine and whatever. If I need to talk to anybody, I'll talk to the Lord about it. But I just made up my mind that home is whatever hotel room we were in. So if you look at all our Christmas photos, they're all in hotels. We'd get a little tree, and we'd get those sticky things that go on the window, and you know, uh, and, and God always provided. I mean, I, I remember um, one Christmas that we were in Vera Beach. It was um, 1989, Christmas '89. And somebody had given us a, a house there. It was actually in a retirement community, but they said, this house is empty and furnished. Um, I mean, nobody's in it, but it's furnished, and you can, you can stay there for the month of December. And um, I remember that, uh, I remember us I trying to call the family for Christmas. I can remember everything about it. It was a freezing cold. Probably wasn't as cold as, it, as it's been the last couple of weeks here, but it was a very cold winter in Florida. And um, we had no tree. And I was kind of kind of, sort of moaning to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, we're here. It's Christmas. Thank you for this house. But we got no tree for the kids. And that day, this old couple comes knocking on the door. They didn't know us at all. They just saw us come in. We weren't actually even supposed to be there because it was this adults-only kind of, you know, retirement community for older folks. They didn't want any little, bratty little kids riding their bikes around, I guess, and breaking windows. I don't know. But anyway, so, and they came over and they said, we see that you have kids. And they said, our family's not coming for Christmas and we really don't feel like putting our tree up. I don't know if that was true or not, but they said, do you want our tree and they gave us their tree with all of their decorations, and we had a Christmas tree. I saved the photos, and I was—I I cried. I'm like, "Oh Lord, you're so good. You're so—you're so precious." <laughs> I mean, I just mentioned it, and there we had the tree, and you know, to, to always remember God's faithfulness. She had these little red apples that were one of her part of her decoration, and so when we got a tree, when we got a home in 1994, in on our first Christmas, 94, in our home. I'm, I made sure I bought the apples and we had the little apples on the tree to remember that God loves us and he cares about even the small things. So, you know, when, when, when you do whatever sacrifice you make for God, n- nothing is wasted. Nothing falls to the ground. God sees everything. He makes a note of everything. And he'll bless and reward you. He'll, he'll bless you here on earth and, and give you the, the desires of your heart. But there's also rewards in heaven for us. So God is good. He's always good. Always remember that. Always remember if you obey and serve Him, you're not missing out on a thing. Amen. Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 11 through 15. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, first things first, Jesus Christ. Whatever else you do, you can be a religious Christian, not not having Jesus in your heart, just knowing about him, thinking you're a Christian, but not being born again, you know, and you can do all of these good works. It doesn't count for anything. You can believe in some other God. You can believe in no God. And everything you do will will not matter in eternity because you won't be there to enjoy any of it. You'll be in hell. That's why it's our job to preach the gospel so people don't end up there. So the first thing, first things first, Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. Not because we're right and everybody else is wrong, but there is no other name given under heaven by which man can be saved, amen. So we don't preach this gospel because we think we're right. We preach it because it's real, because it's the truth, because we've bowed our knee. And we found the answer, and we're so we're so excited and blessed and appreciative that we want to tell everybody because we love them and because He loves them. Amen. So, first foundation, Jesus Christ. Verse twelve says, "Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, let um, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it." Now, when we're here on earth. We, don't, we can't tell by looking at other people what they're doing. We can't, we can't tell what's gold jewels and precious stones and wood, hay, and stubble. It all looks the same to us. But there's a day that it'll become clear. For the day will declare it, the day, what day, day? The day when we stand before Jesus and give our account. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So it's kind of like when you go to the airport and through security and there's certain things that are allowed and there's certain things that are not allowed. So if you take your big bottle of shampoo and, and your, your pocket knife and you know whatever else they don't let you take through there, They're going to take it away from you. And it's kind of the same with heaven. All your luggage you bring with you has got to go through not an x-ray machine, but a fire. And whatever comes out the other side, you get to keep. So if you get to keep nothing, you can't stand there and whine and say, you burned my stuff. And the angel's going to say, I'm sorry, but you brought wood, hay, and stubble, and wood, hay, and stubble burns. You didn't bring anything that could make it through the fire. If you had brought something, if you had brought some gold jewels and precious stones, you would have still had it because the fire doesn't, won't, wouldn't damage that. So when we get to heaven, we can't whine and complain. If we bring in gold jewels and precious stones, we'll still have it at the end of the day. But if we bring in wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burned up. What's wood, hay, and stubble? It's all that stuff that you do that God didn't tell you to do. It's all those works and things that you did that that were just not what God told you to do or or your heart was wrong. I mean, the Bible says that we're going to get, we'll be blessed. God wants a cheerful, willing giver. The Bible says that the willing and obedient will eat the good of the land. So if we obey with a grumpiness, would hay and stubble? If we're all very cheerful, but we don't ever obey God, what hay and stubble? I mean, everything we do outside of God's purpose, God's plan for us. Don't build your ministry based on watching what someone else does and go do what they do. Find out what God wants you to do. Every one of us is unique. I remember there was a time that God actually pulled us apart, like in in 1988 when we were really... Pressing into God, and our prayer was, God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And, and Jesus, please show up in our meetings, please touch these people, please have your own way. And God actually pulled us apart and He said, Don't go running around after this minister, that minister, the other minister right now. And, you know, we need to receive from one another. We need to sit under one another's ministry. We need to be prepared to learn and grow. And it's, there's nothing wrong with going to a conference, a convention, a <clears throat> whatever to, to get in the presence of God and to get the word. But the Lord, he put us apart for a while. That was us. You know, you do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. But there was a season he, he pulled us apart from all of these people. Because you know what happens sometimes? You love them, you appreciate them, you look up to them and you do things just like they do. And when you hang around them, they expect you to do what they're doing. And they don't understand God's called you for something else entirely. And so when when revival broke out in April '89 and the joy broke out. And listen, there was as much weeping and shaking and stuck on the floor and speaking in other tongues as there was joy. But I guess joy was like new to the church. I mean, at the turn of the last century, even speaking in tongues was, oh my goodness. Now everybody speaks in tongues, but the joy everybody was freaking out at. So that's why they labeled it laughing revival and whatever. But I mean, it was unique. And every week, It was the same, we just talk about the Lord, lift Jesus up and he'd show up and people would get hit with the power of God and the Lord told us, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me and if you're ashamed of this, I'll take it away and give it to someone else. And we said, Lord, do whatever you want to do. So we we just braced ourselves for the criticism and the persecution because God can only use you to the extent of the criticism that you can handle. If you can't handle criticism and persecution, you're not going to be able to handle ministry. So so whatever persecution you can handle, that's how far you're going to go in God. And so... um, we looked for somebody who had meetings like this to follow, and we couldn't find them. There wasn't anybody that had... So we just said, Lord, you've got to help us because we, we don't want to be goofy. We don't want to be flaky. We just want to, we want to stick with you, Lord. We, would, we don't want anything that's not you. And the Lord just, through the years, he just used the people that we respected in our life to speak into our life, to confirm you're on the right track. Just hang in there. Amen. And so the important thing is... You know, and, and hopefully, I, I believe m- maybe Pastor Rodney already covered that when he ministered last week. But you know, never major on manifestations. Never draw attention to manifestations. Never make a big deal. Never make your newsletter and your TV program about manifestations. Make it about Jesus. Make it about what he's doing. Make it about the testimonies of what he's done. Because it doesn't matter if you got it on the floor, if you got it in your chair, if you got it crying, if you got it shaking, if you got it laughing, you got it. The testimony's got to show out in your life of your healed marriage, your healed body, your child that's on fire for God. Amen. So never major on, on, on manifestations because the devil can conjure up some stuff for you. He's more than happy to conjure up manifestations. And so don't run after you know, the jewels and the gold and the oil and the, all that nonsense. Amen. There's, there's a man of God that we highly respect who's godly and stable and he's passed away now. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And when everybody was into all this oil stuff, And I I know Pastor Jennifer's had it happen to her, you know, but he talks about years and years and years ago, like I don't don't even know, maybe it was even in the 50s or earlier and he was in a church and and oil came on his hands. You know what, he didn't tell one, one person, he just called a healing line and laid hands on everybody. Why? Because he kept Jesus elevated in the eyes of the people, not the fact that, oh, I have oil on my hands. Because with most people, it becomes like, you have to have me come preach at your church because when I come, there's going to be gold dust and feathers and jewels will appear. And these stupid pastors that actually fall for that and invite those stupid people to come and preach because oh, they have gold. I'd like to see someone take all that stuff and melt it down and pay for a crusade. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll say, bring it on. Yeah. But otherwise, I don't want to have anything to do with that because it's the devil. The devil cannot stop people from being hungry for God and for wanting revival, but he can come up with something that's counterfeit and get them off crazy and and wonky and believing all this rubbish and distract and get them off of what God really has for them and lose focus of the true reason that God even manifests signs and wonders is so that people's lives can be touched and changed. God doesn't do signs and wonders as a show off. He does it to meet the needs of people. He does it if he needs to as a sign and a wonder so that people will bow their knee and receive Jesus as Lord. The healings and the miracles are the dinner bell to call the sinners because the world won't come when you say, hey, come and get saved. But if they say people are getting healed, they'll come running because they all need healing. And while they're there, they'll get saved. Amen. Amen. It's all about lifting up Jesus meeting the needs of people. It's not about us being famous or important or special. Amen. And if you're motivated in that direction, you need to ask God to burn that out of you. Because if you draw people to yourself to look to you and trust you, And you have to speak a word into their life, and you're going to give them a word of prophecy, and you're going to you're going to tell them where they need to go on vacation, and you're going to prophesy to them who they can marry and who they can't marry, and whether they should take that job. You need to get saved. You're a little cult leader. There's things people come and ask me. I'm not going to tell them. You go ask the Holy Ghost. I'll give you some wise counsel about, you know, what what I know, the little I know about pressing in and. Hearing God's voice, but you've got to hear God's voice for yourself. And prophecy, anyway, is going to be confirmation, not information. And there are some I mean, I've I've had people prophesy to me everything that was in my heart. They told me the desire of my heart, like they looked into me and saw everything. But you know what? It wasn't a gift of the Holy Spirit, it was a natural gift that they had to discern my heart, my soul area the desires of my heart, and they spoke that to me. And a lot of people run after that nonsense because there's some people that that can look right into you and tell you stuff about you. That doesn't mean they're gifts from God. That doesn't mean that it's a prophecy and God's telling you to go do those things. So you need to be really careful. My husband's had friends that said, hey, why don't you come with me? Go down the road and there's, there's a prophetess down there. And my husband's like, no way, Jose. I'm not taking a chance. She has an off day. And besides that, the Bible says that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God, not by prophetic words or gifts or someone else's opinion. Amen. And besides that, if God gives you a true prophetic word, brace yourself because you're going to go through it. You're going to go through a test, a trial. You're going to go through something to try and shake you off of the will and plan of God for your life. And God's just giving you that word so that you can close your eyes and hang on. Amen. Have you ever been on a crazy roller coaster and you just closed your eyes and hung on? I mean, that's what it's like. And that, there's, there's many times we've been very grateful for a word from God. And sometimes it's been up ahead. God told us something because He wanted us to instantly make a decision and say yes. And not think about it. So He prepared us before to know that this was going to happen. Go, go with it and this is me. And then other times it's just because you're going to have to walk through something. So don't run after prophecies. Uh, We we were in one church where they sat on their bottom doing nothing for God, but all they wanted was a prophecy. Prophesy to me, prophesy to me. It's like, shut up. Get out there and go lead someone to the Lord. And you know, why do we have to prophesy to you? Just get up and go do it. Amen. I I can probably count the true prophetic words I've ever had. Like for me on one hand, but let me tell you, they were powerful and they were, they were exactly what I needed to hear at the time. And they were from people I respected. Don't just let anybody lay hands on you that you don't know. Don't just let anybody prophesy over you that you don't know. Listen, the gifts of the Spirit are real. But don't just let anybody have that intro into your life. I mean, there's some flaky women that run around and they've got kids at home that they're not taking care of but the lord called them to run around the world and prophesy over everybody you know what they need to be they need to take their pill amen some people just didn't take their medication and i don't mean to be mean or rude to anybody that that has that needs to take medication for anything but honestly there's some people that are just they're not called of god they just have they have issues she should be home taking care of her family. That's what she's called to do. Not running around prophesying over everybody. And, and so my husband, when he sees his woman come and they want to pray for me or lay hands on me, he's there like a shot, <laughs> like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. So thank God for him because, you know, women, we're so kind and gracious and nice to people sometimes and, and the, the men are better able to say, touch her my woman, I'll break her your face. No, not really. <laughs> But thank God for men because they're not afraid to get in someone's face and be confrontational when they need to because that's important. We do need a little bit of that. So. Hallelujah. And you know what none of this today is actually well very little of it is in my notes. I've gone through probably about that much of my notes and I'm supposed to go through about that much of notes. But anyway, it's fine. It's the, it needs to be said. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is ministering to people because the most important thing is we want you to get a foundation in the Word. We, we want you to, to go out and, and do something for Jesus and not get shipwrecked because you're some flake. Amen. I mean, we, gonna, you, you, you can receive whatever you want. You can get offended. You can, whatever, you can take it. You can leave it. You can do whatever you want at the end of the day. But at least we can give an account before God and say, we told you the truth. We told you what we know. We've told you what God's shown us amen. You learn a few things after you've been in the ministry for 30 years, just a few things. I don't know everything. I know a few things. So whatever I have, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to give. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. But you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one runner gets the prize. So run like that. Run to win. All who compete in the games use strict training. They do this so that they can win a prize, one that doesn't last. But our prize is one that will last forever. So I run like someone who has a goal. I fight like a boxer who's hitting something, not just the air. It is my own body I fight to make it do what I want. I do this so that I won't miss getting the prize myself after telling others about it so many times when you preach on something, it's like the devil will come and challenge you in that area. And so it says, I, I, it's my own body I fight. I buffet my body. I buffet my flesh. I humble myself. Whatever I'm telling other people to do, whatever I'm preaching about, I allow the Holy Spirit to minister to me in that area. I, I align, well, or that's what I should be. That's what I'm saying. You, you say you, if it's you, if you're preaching, you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Keep, keep a humble heart in that area of whatever you're ministering because, because too many people end up with a judgmental spirit. And a lot of times when you see people being very, very judgmental in an area, a lot of times it's because they're wrestling with something in their own life. Now, that does not mean that you can't get up and reprove and rebuke and exhort because preaching is reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. There's just one exhort. Everybody wants to exhort. Nobody wants to reprove and rebuke. And, some, you know, I mean, my husband, one day, we were preaching at a minister's conference, and, um, and he was really, basically, he was preaching hot, cold, or lukewarm to a bunch of ministers. And this one minister got so offended with him. Now, I'm pretty outspoken. I'll tell my husband. If I think my husband went overboard with something or he was too hard on something, I'll, I'll tell him. I'll tell him. I'll say, honey, you were a bit rough on them or Whatever. Um, you know, and, and I know his heart. I know, I know he has a very humble heart before the Lord himself. And um, I'm not trying to lift him up or elevate him. And, and obviously, he's just a man. I'm not trying to make him something he's not. But I, I, know, I know he has a heart after God. And, and I trust him. And if I see anything, I'll, I'll say it. If he sees anything in me, he'll say it. So anyway, this guy took offense. Obviously, it hit home. Obviously, it hit home. And he got all offended. And he told my husband, well, you must have... He mentioned some other minister that that had actually fallen in sin, and he said, oh, well, you must have the sin of this minister because this minister was extremely judgmental before, you know, before he was, well, even after he was exposed. But he was very critical and judgmental of everybody else, and then he got exposed with sin in his life. So he said, well, you must have the sin of this minister. And my husband was like, just about speechless. And he said to the guy, well, does that mean we can never get up and reprove and rebuke? Does that mean we can never get up and address issues with the church that we can never, there's never any discipline, there's never any spanking for anybody? Because if you we're too afraid someone's going to think, oh, I must have a problem in that area because I'm talking about it. No, we need to be able to honestly get up and talk about things and deal with it and be straight. And there's too many people that want everybody to like them, and so they just say what everybody wants to hear. But that's not going to help people at the end of the day. It's like, as a parent, you're not called to be your child's friend. You can be their friend when they're grown up and they have their own children. Until then, you're their parent. And you're not supposed to let your soul spare for their crying. And you're supposed to be honest with them and discipline and bring correction and... and And let them face consequences of their choices and not rescue them from everything. You're their parent. Stand up and be the parent. Spank their bottom. Put them in time out. Take away their privileges till they learn their lesson. Be the parent. You're not their friend. And it's the same in ministry. We're not here to be your best buddy, friend, and tell you everything you want to hear because you'll be a weak, pitiful Christian who gets to heaven and all you have is wood, hay, and stubble. Like, like Pastor Rodney says, you can do whatever you want, but when we get before the Lord, we're going to say, God, we did everything we knew to, to get them into heaven and get them there with gold jewels and precious stones. And some of them went kicking and screaming and whining, but Too bad. We at least did our part. The rest is up to them and then we're not accountable after that. So we don't want to be a failure and be a big mess up and do all the things, not do the things that that we're telling everybody else to do. I mean, I've known ministers that preach the best sermon that you've ever heard on walking in love and all that kind of stuff and they don't do any of that in their own personal life. All they do is Scream, shout, judge, and criticize. And i mean to people. And then when somebody confronted them on it, they said, well, the, the preaching of the word is for the sheep, not the shepherd. Oh, come here, I'll slap you. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, that person should not be on a pulpit at all. We, we, we've got to work to keep our heart right so that we're not a, so we don't wreck our life. After telling everybody else what they need to do, that we we don't um, end up not finishing our course and finishing our race. So don't run in vain. While you help others to run their race, make sure you finish yours. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. He will always and only tell us the truth, whether we like it or not. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide us. He's speaking to our hearts all the time. Are you listening? Jesus got into lots of trouble because they could not kill him. They tried, but they could not kill him till he laid down his life, till the time was right. The only reason that they could even take him and put him on that cross is because he gave himself up to them willingly. Jesus spoke the truth. He was not popular in religious, <coughs> in religious circles. And he, he didn't lie when they asked him, are you the son of God? He said, you know, you say that I am argue with him. He, how could he say, no, I'm not? The Pharisees wanted him to say, no, you're nobody special. I'm a no- oh, I'm just a nothing and a nobody. And he just said, I, I have to speak the truth. This is who I am. He couldn't say, no, I'm not the son of God. No. He had to speak, he had to tell the truth. Didn't make him popular, but he spoke it. So before you're born again, you are trained in the ways of the world. Everything you know and understand, like we said yesterday, has come to you via your five senses, sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. God cannot be known or comprehended by your five senses because he's not here in the realm that your senses are. The things of God are only comprehended by the heart, not the head. Your heart grabs it and makes it real to your head. You can't Try and psychoanalyze God. You can't try and figure Him out. You can't figure Him out in your head. And that's what happens. All these people are trying to figure God out in their head. They just can't do it. Your head's not big enough. You're, you're not that smart. You're just really, you're just not that smart to be able to figure God out. You're just not going to be able to. So if you're going to try and do it with your head, people out there in the world are always trying to do it to their head and they come to the conclusion they don't believe in God because they're always trying to figure them out in their head and they can't and it doesn't make sense to them. It's never going to. It only is going to make sense to your heart and not your head. You just have to accept what God tells you by faith. You just have to accept it by faith. You are never, ever again. How can you understand? You can't tell me how you have a brand new heart. You know you do. You know you're born again. You know something happened to you when you received Jesus, Lord and Savior. You can't explain it. You just know it's real. You just know it happened. So, you know, it, it's really irritating too when people try to apply human attitudes, human emotions to God. And people say, well, oh, God must be weeping now, or he must be feeling like this, or he must be thinking this, or, or God does this, or God does that. The Bible says his ways are higher than ours. We can't begin to, to grasp. We just appreciate who he is and what he has done. And let me tell you, when people take that scripture, they take it out of context, and they say, Oh, God killed your baby. His ways are higher than ours. And we don't understand why he's so mean. And he took your husband. And he destroyed your life. And he made you barren. But his ways are higher than our ways. That is garbage. And that makes me mad. Because when you go back and you read that in context, in Isaiah 55, he says... His ways of mercy and grace are higher than ours. Let me tell you how his ways are higher than ours. When we see a man that's sitting in jail who's murdered, raped and murdered eight people and he's sitting in jail and he hears the gospel and he receives Jesus and God forgives him. And the family and everybody else is angry. He can't be forgiven. He took my family. He destroyed my family. He destroyed my life. And here he's sitting in in jail. He should be in hell and God should make him burn and pay and squash him like a bug. How can God forgive him? Am I speaking the truth? We don't understand God's forgiveness. We're we're like Jonah sometimes. We don't want to preach to Nineveh because we don't want Nineveh to be to repent because we want Nineveh to be destroyed. When Jonah was spat out of that whale and he went and he preached to Nineveh and Nineveh, surprised, repented because he was he was sure that Nineveh wouldn't repent. He was sure that God would squash him like a bug. And when they repented, he was furious. And God got mad at him and said, what's the matter with you? You crying because a melon dies and then you angry because I let these people live? And of course, Nineveh did end up getting eventually destroyed because they turned to sin. But God's gracious. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. He came and he told Abraham about it, to give Abraham a chance to argue with him and talk him out of it. God always wants to be talked out of judgment. God's heart is not to destroy. God's heart is not to judge. His heart is to love, to forgive. He has a heart of mercy. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's God's goodness that he sent Jesus to die and suffer and be cut off from him for us because he loves us so much. It takes him forever to get mad and a a heartbeat to forgive and, and be restored again, merciful, and to show his mercy. Amen. So God's ways of grace and mercy and forgiveness are what's higher than ours. The devil is the thief who kills, steals, and destroys. The devil is the one active to kill and to with sickness and disease and lack and everything else. But you know what? We're going to make him pay. We're going to make him pay for everything he's stolen, for everything that, 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 we, that we feel like we've lost. We're just going to make the devil pay. We're not going to let him win. We're not going to let him you know, make us mad at God and disappointed at God. we cannot allow the devil to do that to us. We're not going to allow him to push us down. We're not going to allow him to put fear in our life. Just because he smacked us the last time we stuck our head up, doesn't mean we're never going to stick our head back up again. We can do it again because God is on our side. We're going to make the devil pay for everything he's stolen from us. Amen. Hallelujah. So the things of God are comprehended by the heart, not the head. God speaks to your heart, to your heart, to your heart, to your heart, not your head. Don't go with the thoughts in your head. There's a lot of people that meditate and think and, you know, they think up all kinds of crazy things, and then they say it's God. God's going to speak. You can need to make your head shut up and listen to your heart. If you really want to press in to hear God's voice, get by yourself, Go lie in your bed somewhere, go pray in tongues. Just pray, 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 pray for an hour, pray for two hours, pray pray as long as you need to, and then spend some time being quiet. Not being quiet, focusing, concentrating, thinking, and trying to think something, think a thought, think, 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 think a thought. Amen. Make your head shut up and lie there and listen. And God might not speak to you then. He might speak to you at five o'clock or the next day, or the next week. But what you're doing is you're training your spiritual ear to hear God's voice. Amen. And so make your head shut up and listen to your heart. God's going to speak to your heart. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15. But the natural, non-spiritual man does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart the gifts and teachings and revelations of the spirit of god for they are folly and meaningless nonsense to him and he is incapable of knowing them of progressively recognizing understanding and becoming better acquainted with them because they are spiritually discerned and estimated and appreciated but the spiritual man tries all things he examines, investigates, inquires into questions and discerns all things, yet is himself to be put on trial and judged by no one. He can read the meaning of everything, but no one can properly discern or appraise or get an insight into him. So the non-spiritual man doesn't, just, there's a lot of things he just does not understand and can't understand, but the spiritual man knows things, sees things, understands things, when when you when you press into the, the Lord and you you press into His presence and you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you've allowed the Holy Spirit to to deal with you and, and you've you've allowed the fire of God to come and and purge you and touch your life and you do it on a regular basis. We need to, on a regular basis. We need to ask God, Lord, burn, burn with your fire. I mean, Pastor Rodney and I have done it. We say, Lord, burn with your fire. Start with us. Burn through us, our family, our ministry, and everything that's not of you, let it fall away. Let it be burned up. We only want what's of you. You know, um, the Lord has really just blessed us because there's many times that we've actually wanted to, like in our hiring decisions, to hire somebody to do something, we watch how people respond in the service. If people are not hungry, open, and responsive to the Holy Spirit, we're not going to take them on staff. And there's some people that started out hungry, and then you watch them, they, they, they're not hungry anymore. It's like, you know, we go, oh, oh, something's wrong. Because you can't judge people after the natural. The Bible says don't judge, no, we no longer judge people after the flesh. We no longer decide anything about them, or know anything about them, or, you know, according to the flesh. It's, it's the heart. That's what we look for. I mean, we, we've had some friends. We don't have friends just so that they can do something for us. We just have friends that are friends. You know, a lot of people, they'll only be friends with someone they think can, can advance them in some way. No, we just need to have friends that are friends. Some friends, you see all their faults, you love them anyway, and you just keep them under the anointing and pray that God will do something for them. There's been many people that we've put put a lot of time and effort and into because trying to keep them just under the nodding, and some of them God did an, an awesome thing in them, and they're doing things for God now, and some of them just didn't turn out that great, and just wouldn't allow the Holy Spirit, and there was nothing we got to a place where there's nothing else we could do, and we had to take our hands off and leave it, you know. But so, um, and so we would have sometimes we'd have one one friend come and warn us about this other this one other friend. And the same day, we'd have that friend come warn us about that, watch out for this guy. They didn't, we saw all that. But we, have, we trust that God can do a work in a lot of them. Amen. And so, you know, we, we give God an opportunity to work in people's life. But when it comes to rebellion, stubbornness, hard-heartedness, when people are, reject the Spirit of God and don't want to have anything to do with Him, then there's nothing we can do for them. And you know, if people get mad at God, they're going to get mad at you. Amen. There's some people, you know what, what you have to remember, we heard this, and an Australian friend told us this one time, and I've always remembered this, and this has helped so much, and he talked about a can of worms. Some people just have a can of worms. And there's, there's some things that, you know, people do or say that, would, that we take, and we get bothered by this, and we, you know, we get bent out of shape by it, but you know what, you have to tell yourself, you know what, it's not my problem, it's their can of worms it's their can of worms. So always tell yourself that when you start getting bothered by someone else and their attitude and what they do, what they say, how they treat you, just it's got nothing to do with me. It's their can of worms. They need to deal with it, you know, and then you don't take, you don't feel like I need to do something about that or who are they doing this to me or what? No, it's their can of worms. If they have a bad attitude, it's like, you know what? The Bible says, we must do whatever we can to walk in peace. And have good relationships. So, so you do what you can to promote peace. And we've had many people that got mad or whatever and walked away. And you know what? We just always left the door open. We didn't go run after them or try to whatever or, or defend ourselves. We just left the door open and many of them came back again. And we're, we're friends again and we're friends now. But there was a season they walked away and that was their can of worms. So we couldn't get mad at them. We just kept loving them. But we didn't go running after them, just left it and... God took care of it. There's people that have been mad at us. They didn't like the ministry. They spoke against us. We didn't call them on the phone and say, who do you think you are? We were just like, it's their can of worms. They're missing out. Leave it alone. And after two years, they came back on the front row just, please pray for me. I desperately need God's touch. We didn't say, hm, you're back, huh? We said, "That awesome. We'll pray for you. We'll believe God and we pray that the Lord touch you and bless you. Amen. Amen. Listen, if, if you can't deal with these things, you're not going to make it in ministry. You're not going to make it. I mean, I, I've watched people walk through some really tough things and come out on the other side and like people treating them terribly. And they came out the other side, still smiling, still loving the Lord, still wanting to be in ministry. And I looked at them and I went, these people are going to make it for the, ro- the long haul. These people are going to cross the finish line. Because they've dealt with their heart and their attitude, and they they're not carrying unforgiveness, and they're not carrying resentment, they're not carrying offenses, they're not allowing other people to make them bitter and and affect them, you know. Because you you can't you can't help what other people do or say, but you can help what you do or say, and you don't have to you don't have to allow what they do or say to affect you. You can let it be like water rolling off the duck back. And, and that's, that is the hardest thing in ministry that you have to develop. You have to develop kind of a thick hide to where you don't take offense at things, that where you let it roll off of you. But you can't encase yourself in this shell of armor to where you, because whenever you build walls to shut people out, you also shut God out. And so you need to keep that, like an armadillo, you need to have that soft underbelly you need to walk in love. You need to expose yourself in that sense and, and love people and continue to walk in love and continue to believe the best of people and cons- continue, continue to trust God in that area of relationships because love will protect you. You have to trust that love will protect you because when you walk in love, nobody can hurt you. They can say what they like. They can do what they like. When you choose to not be offended and you choose to continue to love them, they can't hurt you. You only get hurt when you receive that thing and you take it and you get hurt and you get offended and you get bitter. But when you walk in love, they can't hurt you. They can do whatever. It doesn't affect you because you keep loving them. You don't stop loving them. So love is our protection. Amen.